to. And we're looking at the freedom that we've, we have in Jesus. We're looking at what Christian freedom is, what it looks like. We look, we've been looking at church unity and how the Holy Spirit brings that unity in us as we, um, as we center our lives on Jesus. And um, we reached a portion in Acts chapter 2 where... Uh, Acts, what I'm talking about. Galatians chapter 2, where it speaks of Barnabas. And um, Paul writes and says, when Peter came to Antioch, he stopped eating with the Gentiles. He withdrew from the position that he had held. And even Barnabas was led astray by his hypocrisy. And Barnabas, who was actually the, the father of the church in Antioch, he had... He had uh, helped to birth the church and seen many people saved, he, he became infected by this hypocrisy and he too stopped eating with the Gentiles. And um, I wanted to just look at Barnabas with you over the next couple of weeks because Barnabas, I think, is an amazing, amazing man. And here, in this portion, is one of the mistakes that Barnabas makes in his life and we'll look at some of the mistakes that he made. But before that, I'd like to... I'd like to have a look at Barnabas with you and just have a look at his life and in various portions throughout the New Testament where we get to meet him, what an incredible man he was, what an incredible person he was and an incredible father to the early church. So if you can turn with me to Acts chapter 11, we're going to start by reading a couple of verses and I'm going to launch off from there and we're going to just have to do a little study of Barnabas and trust that the same things that motivated Barnabas are going to start to motivate us. All right? And so I've called this message Barnabas, a good man. Who would be like to know as a good man or a good woman? Yes, I would. And the, the scripture says he was full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. And I'd like those things for my life as well. Okay, Acts eleven twenty-two. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived... And he saw the evidence of the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with their hearts, all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So this is the first time that we meet Barnabas is, uh, at Antioch as the church is birthed there. I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but um, the vast majority of great people of faith, men and women of faith, have been utterly forgotten. The vast majority. It's not only true of Western history, but... Uh, there are also great heroes of the faith in the third world and other countries that no one's ever heard of. And I had the privilege of playing golf with Philip Yancey this year. Have you heard of Philip Yancey? He's written some amazing books, What's So Amazing About Grace, and a number of other books. And um, he was just telling the story, which I think I might have told before, of um, Korea 
and the revival that we know is happening in South Korea at the moment, and there are some massive churches in, in South Korea, Paul Yankee Cho and people like that have hundreds of thousands of people in their church. But the roots of the, the revival in, in South Korea were actually from North Korea, which is, um, was now communist and a very restrictive environment to, to be uh, living in. And he told the story of this, this American missionary that I forget the name of, a young man in his early 20s, in the early uh, 20th century, was living in Korea, in North Korea, translated the scripture into Korean. The communist uh, revolution came. They were all expelled. Many of the people were, were, were killed. And so a lot of the Christians went from North Korea to South Korea, and there they c- carried on ministering. And that's where the great revival that happened in, in South Korea was actually a result of persecution in, in North Korea. And um, this is the amazing part of the story. This Bible that he translated... He was actually killed, and the, and the person that killed him uh, took the Bible, and paper art in, in the Eastern culture is a, is a highly pre- prized um, discipline. And so the, the guy took the Bible, tore it up, and started decorating the walls of um, his home and doing all sorts of art with the, the pages of the Bible. His son started reading the pages of the Bible on the wall, got saved, and became one of the first elders in one of the churches that was planted. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> the Word of God speaks for itself. And, but we don't know who, or, who all these great heroes are, and um, many of them, only God knows who they are, that have done amazing things with their lives. But I, I, fortunately, that's not true for everyone. Fortunately, in the West, we have had many people document people's lives. And why I'm saying all of this by way of introduction is that I believe God uh, uh, intends our memories to be a means of grace for us. Have you ever thought how often the Old Testament or the Psalms in particular encourages us to remember what God has done for us? The Bible always encourages us to reflect on the good things that God has done and to remember them and to let that be a means of grace in our lives. And so Hebrews 13 verse 7 says this, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their life and their faith and imitate their faith. There's that encouragement in Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews 6, 12. Don't be sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience have inherited the promises. And if you know Hebrews 11, it's a great collection of great heroes of the faith. And the writer of the Hebrews wrote down all their stories as a means of grace to us to encourage us that we too can stand alongside them and as we live our lives before God, we can count for Him. It's a great encouragement. It's a means of grace to us. And so I want to encourage you to be readers. I want to encourage you to read. And I'm not forcing you to read. I can never do that. But I want to encourage you to read anything that you can lay your hands on. Great biographies of people that have gone before us and have done amazing things for God. Those that have been filled by the Spirit, those that have uh, responded to the Spirit of God in their lives and have lived out their life and it's been written down for us to read. And so um, I was looking at some stuff uh, that John Piper wrote and he was talking about this Episcopal pastor in Boston, a guy called Philip Brooks. And he he says this about um, reading about other people. He said, while it's good to walk among the living, it's good to also live with the wise, the great, and the good dead. 
It keeps out of life the dreadful feeling of extemporaneousness. Now, that's just a very fancy word for being unprepared, uh, living like uh, in an impromptu way, without being prepared for your life, uh, with its conceit and despair. It makes us know that God made other men before us, and it furnishes us with a constant background for our living. It provides us with perpetual humility and inspiration. That's why we should learn from other people. Um, He quotes Isaac Watts as well, who um, wrote many great hymns. This is what Isaac Watts said. He said, The lives or memoirs of of persons of piety well written have an infinite and unspeakable advantage to any disciple and professor of Christianity and have given us uh, instances and rules of how to resist temptation, how to uh, be soothed in a frowning world, how to practice important and difficult things, how to love God above all and to love our neighbors as ourselves, to live by the faith of the Son of God and to die by that same faith in a sure and certain hope of a resurrection to eternal life. These are just people writing about how they've been encouraged by others. And so I myself have written, uh, I've, I've uh, read many biographies that I found incredibly encouraging. John Wesley, Wilberforce, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, Martin Luther, C.S. Lewis, lots of stories of other people. Last summer I read a book, which I think I mentioned already, called 70 Great Christians Changing the World. I want to encourage you to get that book. It's written by an Englishman, Jeffrey Hanks. And he looks, at, he looks at all sorts of people through church history. Peter and Paul. He looks at um, Ignatius, Tertullian, Augustine, Cyprian, all these early church fathers, uh, St. Francis of Assisi, how they lived, how they died, many of them. Incredibly encouraging. And so that inspired me once again when I was reflecting on these things as I was just looking at Galatians And there's this reminder of Barnabas in Galatians. And if you read Acts, it seems like Luke, who wrote Acts, is also very, very concerned that we we get to understand something of the character of Barnabas. And so I want to just try and do that with you over the next couple of weeks. And so we looked at this text out of Acts chapter 11, and I just want to repeat it. It says, uh, They sent for Barnabas, who came to Antioch, and when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad... And he encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a large number were added to the Lord. So what what makes Barnabas tick? What what really motivates him from the inside? And it's obvious that Luke, when in writing Acts, wants us to understand something of what that is. And so I want to say, I want to look at this thing of goodness. Because uh, it says he was a good man. And I want to start by saying is that we can't manufacture goodness. <laughs> goodness is something of a fruit of the Holy Spirit that comes from the inside. And so I believe these things are connected. There are two assertions that Luke makes in that portion of Acts. He says, Barnabas was a good man. That's one thing. And he says, Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. That's another thing. And I believe those things are connected. And I want to give you some pointers and uh, hopefully encourage you this morning. How do these things relate to each other? How do goodness and faith and being full of, full of the Holy Spirit relate to each other? Well, I think that probably being full of the Holy Spirit and faith is the root of Barnabas's goodness. That's why people saw him as a good man, because he was full of faith and he was full of the Holy Spirit. 
And later in Galatians, Paul unpacks that in Galatians 5.22, which I mentioned already this morning, where he says, goodness is part of the fruit of the Spirit. And there's an evidence in our lives of peace, patience, kindness, perseverance, and goodness that is a fruit of the Holy Spirit transforming us from the inside. And so I want to start by saying you can't suddenly become good. We become good as we yield our lives to the Holy Spirit, as God transforms us on the inside, and suddenly there's fruit in our lives, and people can see we are kinder, less angry, more patient. Why? Because Jesus is doing it on the inside of us. That's a wonderful thing. And so I want to say, we're not passive in that process. It's not that we just, the Holy Spirit transforms us just like automatically. What do we need to do? Well, that, that, that scripture tells us, it's, that's why Luke says, he doesn't just say that Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit. Don't we just want that, hey? We want to be full of the Holy Spirit, and God just come and fill me with the Holy Spirit and transform me, and it's like, you do it all. No, 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 it's not like that. We do something. What do we do? We exercise faith. That's what we do. He was full of the Holy Spirit. That's what God does, and we respond with faith. That's what we do. And the two things work together. The Holy Spirit, God working in us, faith, us exercising belief in God and obedience to God's Word, and that's what we do. And those two things work together. So Galatians even says that. It says um, in chapter 3, Did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? When we get saved, it's by faith. As we live, it's by faith. As God transforms us, it's by faith. That's what we do. We exercise faith. Uh, in fact, it says in verse 5 of, of Galatians 3, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do this by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? He says it again. So the assumption is faith. And so at the very beginning of the Christian life, we receive the Holy Spirit by trusting that Jesus is who he says he is, and we receive the Holy Spirit. And as the Christian life goes on and we walk with God, again and again we need to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit and filled by the Holy Spirit. And that happens by faith as we believe in him, as we believe in his promises. And the practical fruit of that on the inside of us is joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. You get it? And so, when the Bible says here that Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, I understand that in a very simple way. That Barnabas had great faith in God and what God had promised. And so, that great faith was inspired by the Holy Spirit and became what beat it on the inside of him. And the result was, his life was full of fruits that people could see. Very simple. And so... What was, that was the key to his life, and I want to encourage you that that can be the key to our lives as well, and that he was full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, and a good man. So here are six demonstrations of what I'm talking about, this, relation, this relationship between faith on the one hand, and the Holy Spirit, and God working in us. And that's, I want to look at six things with you this morning. The first is this. And they are all expressions of this goodness in Barnabas' life. Barnabas had an extraordinary empathy for people that were outside of the kingdom. Why did I say that? Well, 
um, in Acts, we read that all the apostles, all the elders and the deacons in the church in Jerusalem could have sent help to the Gentiles in, in Antioch via anyone, but they chose Barnabas. Why did they choose Barnabas? Well, because he really had a reputation that he cared for people, particularly the underdog, particularly, particularly people that were outside of the household of God, and he was an includer, he was an encourager, he liked to draw people in to God's kingdom. Why do I say that? Well, the first example of that is in Acts chapter 9, where, where Saul is converted. And everyone in the church is so petrified of Saul because of what he's been doing that no one is brave enough to go to Paul to check out his story and to bring him into, bring him into the context of the church, the local church. Only one person has the courage, only one person has the desire to go and fetch Paul and to hear his story and say, okay, you say you're saved, let me check it out. And that man was Barnabas. He had an extraordinary ability to encourage others and to look for people on the fringe, and to draw them in, and to open his heart, and to take a chance on people that no one else would take a, a, a chance on. He was an extraordinary man. And so even um, we know in Acts chapter 4, if you read the story of, of it says there that there's this guy called Joseph, who read, his, his name was Barnabas. And he took a field, he took up his possessions, and he sold his field just to encourage the apostles. And he came and he took all the proceeds of the field and he laid it at the feet of the apostles. He said, you can have this money, do with it whatever you want. <laughs> you see, this is the stuff we, we already know about Barnabas. And they said, on that basis, he was called a son of encouragement. He knew how to encourage people. He knew how to link arms with people. He knew how to just watch for the person that's kind of slipping in the back door of the church, like incredibly nervous and just shy, and to get alongside them and say, it's great to have you. He was an encourager. That's what a, the, the great gift of this man, Barnabas. Well, but why do I say that faith produces that kind of empathy for, 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 for people? Well, do you remember what it was like when you weren't a Christian and you felt the sense of alienation from God. Did you, can you remember that, if you, if you weren't uh, uh, what I'm talking about? Maybe you're here today and you still feel alienated from God. You feel like, well, well then I want to encourage you that perhaps today you'll meet Jesus. Because faith, truth-saving faith, always retains that wonder of knowing what it's like to be included into God's family. It always, saving faith, when we are truly saved, we never lose the wonder of what it means to be saved as a child of God. Because we remember what it felt like to be excluded, to be alienated from God, and the wonder of coming into His kingdom. Saving faith remembers that. So there's something about faith that always holds that in our hearts, and we, we keep that sense with us. And that's why we can have empathy for people that are outside of the kingdom. That's why we can have compassion for those that don't know Jesus. Because we remember all the time what it was like to live not knowing Jesus. Not knowing His kindness. Not knowing His forgiveness. Not knowing His mercy. Not knowing anything of the Holy Spirit. Just struggling from day to day without destiny, without purpose, without a sense of calling in our lives. That's what Barnabas Understood. He retained that in his life all the time and it gave him a great compassion for people outside because he remembered what it was like to be alienated from God. Do you remember what it's like to be alienated from God? 
as we look to be fruitful into the community, let that motivate us this year. That sense of the wonder of finding salvation in Christ and being included into his family and a whole new community of friends that we would have never known outside of Jesus. The truth is I would never have known most of you except for Jesus, except that he's brought us together. Why on earth would I have gone to Hemel Hempstead other than to meet Richard and Jill and, and other people that live in Hemel Hempstead, other friends? It's just because of Jesus. We would just get into our own little, our own little town and our own little thing and we'd just live our little lives, wouldn't we? Come on now. So that's the first thing. You can have empathy for outsiders if you still feel the wonder of knowing that you yourself have been accepted by God. Secondly, the second thing, Barnabas, part of this fruit of goodness in his life was that he submitted to God's call through the church. Through the church. He wasn't a lone ranger doing his own thing. He was a man who submitted his life to the call of God expressed through the local church where he was working. And it says in verse 22, it ends with these words, they sent Barnabas to Antioch, and verse 23 begins with the words, when he came. I love that about Barnabas. He, was a, he saw things very simply. There's a need. I have the gifts. I have, God has put this in me, and I'll go. I'll go. You want me to go? I'll go. So he went. And we never, we, there's no evidence in the New Testament that he ever came back to live in Jerusalem. <laughs> Once he responded to the call of God and he went where God sent him, he went and he lived faithfully there. We read this in um, chapter 13 of Acts. It says again, Barnabas was praying with some of the teachers now in Antioch, some of the people in Antioch, and that it happens again. The Holy Spirit says, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them to. And they fasted, they prayed, they laid, laid their hands on them, and they were off. They went. That was that. Very, very simple, Barnabas. Here's the call of God. God, what are you saying? Is it me you're calling? Yes, I am. You're calling me. I'm going. <laughs> That's it. He had this amazing yieldedness to the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask you, how does faith produce that kind of yieldedness in our lives? Well, I want to put it to you this way. There's a great promise for every single one of us in Matthew 28, verse 19. It says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go into all the earth, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he has a great promise. And I will be with you even to the ends of the age. It's a great promise. You see, Barnabas knew that if he responded to the call of God, if he responded to the leading of the God, he would always be in God's presence and God's sovereign hand would always be over his life and wherever he lived, God would be with him because God had promised, I will be with you to the ends of the age. And I want to encourage you, whatever God is calling you to, that's a great promise for all of us. We arrived in Watford 15 years ago with two suitcases and our two little boys. We knew Matt Redman and we knew Mike Pulavachi. We knew no one else. We just knew God had called us and he had called us to start a church and that was it. We didn't have a back door. We didn't have a return ticket. That was it. God, if you don't pitch, we are finished. Some people say, well, that's really stupid. That's not good forward planning. Yes, in some ways it was stupid and not forward planning, but in other ways it was responding completely to the call of God on our lives. And we've tried to live that out faithfully. And that promise is true for all of us. 
Whatever God is calling you to, He will be with you to the end of the age. You can bank on it. Barnabas was a man that banked on it. And he lived his life accordingly. I hope that encourages you. Thirdly, I love this about Barnabas. He had a clear vision of God's grace in an imperfect church. I love that about the man. He had um, something inside of him that could see the potential in new believers, in imperfect people, and it, it, it encouraged him to live his life in a way that encouraged others. I love that. So many people want a perfect church. Let me just put you out of your disappointment right now. If you're visiting this morning and you're looking for a perfect church, don't come to this one because it is not a perfect church. It is very imperfect, full of imperfect people. We're all just learning to live under God's guidance and by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we make mistakes, but we love Jesus. That's it. There's no such thing as a perfect church. And Barnabas, it says, he saw the evidence of the grace of God, and he was glad. There's something about people that are encouragers. They can walk into a situation, and they don't just see like, oh, that's not right, and oh, that person, they're never going to do anything with their lives, and oh, that's just, I mean, that's so disappointing. The church leaders running off with secretaries and taking the money, it's so disappointing. Of course it's disappointing. But when we've been touched by the grace of God, there's something on the inside of us that is just looking for evidence of the grace of God. Looking for people being transformed. Looking for evidence of, yes, that person's marriage is being restored. Yes, that person is, is, is learning to live less angry. And that inspires us. Yes? Come on now. That's what Barnabas could do. He, he saw with, with eyes that didn't see imperfection. He wasn't expecting that of people. He was wanting people to be transformed by the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a completely wonderful thing. And so, why does faith produce that kind of vision to see the potential in people? Because I see it like this. We live by faith. We live by grace. And if you are are saved, if there's a saving faith in your life, you are always looking for grace. You are always looking for the evidence of God's kindness in someone's life. It's like a homing device. It's like those guys that walk around the beach with, with those little things. Have you seen them? They walk around the beach and beep, 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 and then they, they pick up the coin or whatever. That's, that's, it's like a homing device. That, that's what it is. It's like, um, it's like a radar that's looking for a blip. And the blip is the grace of God. And when it finds the, finds the blip, it zones in and says, there's the grace of God. And I'm going to put my effort there. That's the kind of guy that Barnabas was. He had a radar. He had a metal detector. And he was looking always for the evidence of the grace of God in people's life so he could add his energy there and help just that person in their walk with Jesus. Come on now, we can do that for everybody, huh? You and I, we can do that. We can, just, we, can, we can have a homing device in our own lives that is zoned in on the grace of God, just trying to encourage and refresh people and, spur, and cheer them on as they walk with Jesus. And the fourth thing that I like about Barnabas, evidence of this goodness in his life, it's not that he just saw the um, evidence of the grace of God. It says, it says that he rejoiced. It says he was glad when he saw the evidence of the grace of God. He came and saw the grace of God and he was glad and he rejoiced. And uh, the reason that he was able to rejoice is because he was addicted to what he saw God do in people's lives. 
There's such a thrill when you see someone's life transformed, isn't there? And you know it's got nothing to do with you. It's got everything to do with Jesus. Man, it's thrilling. I want to encourage you and I to live with that same sense of expectation and thrill this year that we'd see many, many lives transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Fifthly, I've only got six things and I'm nearly finished. 20 minutes. I'm impressed. I must be hungry. Fifthly, Barnabas had an incredible ability to encourage people to persevere. It says in uh, verse 23, When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose. You see, if you are saved this morning, if you know Jesus, you know this, that there's always the temptation not to believe. There's always the temptation to say things like, well, Stephen Fry, man, he's a bright guy. Surely his rant on television is right. Surely God is angry and unkind. Surely God would not allow the universe to be what it is. Surely, I mean, and you cause to doubt. Yeah? When you are saved, truly saved, you know this, that you have to fight unbelief in your life. You have to fight that temptation just to give in to what is, is um, negative and what is I always say this, you want to be a cynic, that's fine. All you need is one eye and one ear. You can be cynical about anything. This world in which we live encourages us to be cynical about everything. And yet Barnabas was a guy who didn't live like that. He encouraged people to persevere. And why? Because he himself had that sense of, if I take off the armor of God in my own life, I'm not going to stand. And therefore, I'm going to stand with the full armor of God. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to hold on to what I know is true. And when you can do that for yourself, you can encourage other people to do that. You see? It always starts on the inside of us, isn't it? And we all know that there are people that we love to be around. Why? Because when we're with them, they encourage us. And we walk out the room and we feel stronger. We feel like, yes, I can do this, Lord. I can take on anything. And then there are other people that you're with and you kind of think, uh, you leave the room and you say, God, why did I do it? I feel dead. I just feel like the life has been sucked out of me. What, do you, what kind of person do you want to be around? An encourager, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of power that breathes life into you. Let's be those kind of people by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so, I'll finish with this. Barnabas, lastly, was a good man because he was trustworthy with other people's money. You know, love is so practical. Goodness is so practical, isn't it? Why do I say that? Well, in verse 29, uh, it says, the disciples determined that each one should give according to his ability to send relief to the, the brothers who lived in Judea. Remember I told you that the Jewish churches in Judea were poorer than the Gentile churches that uh, Paul had been planting in Galatia and other places. And so they did. They took this offering and they sent it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. 
Barnabas was chosen. Why did they choose Barnabas? Because they knew that he could be trusted with money. How did they know he could be trusted with money? Because he'd already sold a whole field that belonged to him. And he just gave the money and he said to the guys, do with the world you want. He was not living for money. He was living for people. And he proved it already in his life by how he was living. And so they knew, this guy Barnabas, if we give him the money, he's not going to put it in his pocket. He's going to take all the money that we give. He's going to bless the churches in Judea. We trust him. What an amazing testimony. Acts 4.36. Joseph, surnamed by the apostles Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement. He was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, a Greek. He sold his fields which belonged to him, and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He had this reputation of being trustworthy with other people's money because he had already shown in his life that he didn't love money or things. He lived for people. And why could he do that? Well, he had great faith. He had great faith in this promise. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And that's what he was banking on. And so, in summary then, we've, I've just had a brief look with you. These six things that showed Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He felt empathy for those outside because he, he retained always the wonder of knowing what it felt like to be an outsider in the kingdom. Secondly, he yielded to the call of God through the church because he banked on this promise from God, I will be with you to the end of the age. Thirdly, he saw grace in the imperfect church in Antioch because he had this homing device on the inside of him which was just looking for the grace of God and the evidence of the grace of God in people's lives. He rejoiced over that because... He was addicted to what he saw God do in people's lives, and he saw God transform them. He lived for that. I want to encourage you to live for that. And he was a man who could encourage people to persevere because he knew what it took. There was a persevering faith on the inside of him, and because there was a persevering faith on the inside of him, he could encourage others with that same faith. And so I want to encourage you, lastly, it says in Hebrews 13, consider the outcome of people's lives and imitate their faith. I want to say that you would do well as a church community to imitate the life and the faith of this wonderful man, Barnabas, who was such an encouragement to the local church. And I'm sure that you know many, many others in your life that have encouraged you in a similar way. Yeah? Let this year be a year of fruitfulness, growth in the Holy Spirit, all those things that we are desiring for. Let them start on the inside of all of us so we can give away what God is doing on the inside of us. Amen?